This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. You're listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. Meanwhile in Memphis is a program dedicated to conversations that celebrate the organizations, initiatives, and people that are shaping Memphis for the better. The Meanwhile in Memphis radio show and podcast are brought to you by New Memphis, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to develop, activate, and retain the city's most important resource, its people. Your hosts today are me, Rebecca Hamm, and my colleague, Anna Thompson. Before we get into today's conversation, we have a few quick reminders. TEDx Memphis 2024 is accepting speaker applications through February 29th. TEDx Memphis is building a playlist of big ideas for Memphis and beyond. What will you add to the mix? Head to newmemphis.org slash events for more information. Coming up on February 27th is Celebrate What's Right, Creative Economics. This exciting afternoon event will explore the role that arts and culture play on the local economy. We'll have a panel conversation with leaders in the arts and culture sector, followed by refreshments and continued networking. Related to this conversation, coming up on March 19th is Memphis 101. Today, we'll be talking a little bit about the present state of arts and music industry here in Memphis, but if you want to understand a little bit more about the shoulders of giants that we stand on, join us at Memphis 101 to take a high energy but deep dive into Memphis arts, culture, history, and more. This free event is coming up on March 19th, and you can reserve your tickets at newmemphis.org events. Today, we are discussing the music industry and opportunities for global recognition through Crosstown Sync. With global recognition comes the potential for imitation, which is where our second guest, media attorney Lee Rankin, comes in. Let's get going. Good morning, Mackenzie and Lee. How are each of you this morning? Doing good. Good morning. Excellent. Great to be here. Great. Well, we want to get started by um, having each of you share a little bit about yourselves and your respective organizations. So, Mackenzie... Would you get us started? Absolutely. My name is Mackenzie Webster. I'm the Musician Artist Services Manager for Crosstown Arts. And so Crosstown Arts, our mission is to cultivate the creative community here in Memphis. And so that's on a variety of scales, not only visual artists, but um, filmmakers, musicians. And so specifically in my capacity with Musician Artist Services, we have three programs, which is healthcare support. So we work with Church Health uh, primarily as a liaison to make sure that music creatives here in the city, should they be uninsured, have healthcare coverage through their Memphis plan, or should they want something a bit more robust uh, in the form of insurance, walking them through uh, the ACA portal um, to get insurance that covers them outside of the city. Uh, We also have publishing admin support. So myself and my colleague Charles, who is our publishing admin support coordinator, work with music creatives to make sure that they're collecting all of the the royalties due to them. Uh, So whether that's through their PRO, which is their performing rights organization, but through SoundExchange, the MLC. Um, And so if they want to, you know, self-admin their catalog, 
meaning register on their own behalf and collect that. Uh, we walk them through how to organize that, or we have a partnership with Song Trust, which is a part of the downtown music publishing umbrella and can help them in collecting their royalties globally. Um, and then we have Crosstown Sync, which we are pitching music, Memphis music, uh, by Memphis music creatives, whether you're based in the city, uh, if they're from Memphis, but say living elsewhere, or you just solely come to Memphis to record, we are pitching your music for film, TV, commercials, video games, fitness apps, you name it, uh, which is great. It's We are non-exclusive, so that means you can still be pitching yourself and your music for other opportunities or working with another sync partner. Uh, but we try to be as artist friendly as possible. And it's just creating another revenue stream for music creatives uh, outside of just releasing their music to, you know, DSPs like Spotify or Apple music or touring. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me in a nutshell. Awesome. Thank you so much. What about you, Lee? So I am the owner of a boutique entertainment, uh, media, and technology firm, uh, the Lee Rankin Group, that is based here in Memphis. Um, our firm is really constitutes me as the owner and the primary worker, and then I have a law clerk, and I have a consultant that handles all things operational and administrative. Would love to expand, and we can talk about that more, but I also work locally in local government. I serve as a advisor to Shelby County Board of Commissioners. I also serve as their parliamentarian, so I deal with legislation, um, deal with running orderly meetings, and um, handle advisory work for them um, contractually with regard with respect to their procurement transactions, things of that nature. So um, my law firm does work it's primarily in the realm of transactions. Okay. Um, our clients include. Uh, an international music distribution company and publishing company that is based here in Memphis. And then I also do work for a huge media company. Um, and the, the realm that I'm in is virtual reality. Um, work It's product and, and marketing, legal marketing is the area. So I advise marketing teams with respect to a virtual reality product. Wow. <laughs> Hello, right, right, we <laughs> I'm like, okay, so um, can you break down a little bit for me personally and um, the listening audience, what kind of is a standard practice in something that you might cover? Like what types of things would you assist musicians with? Mm -hmm. So I have transitioned largely out of uh, direct artist representation. Okay. We can talk about that. I want to keep it on a high note. So I'm going to let Mackenzie really celebrate working directly with creators. Okay. But I'm older. I'm a little more seasoned. I've been doing uh, representing artists for a long time. I started in my 20s as a lawyer in New York at a record company, Tommy Boy Records, which was at that time a huge hip hop yes. company, also working with their publishing um, catalog, which was huge. I could go on and on. You all might not recognize some of the the artists that they that Tom Silverman owned the publishing for, like Coolio, De La Soul, um, Everlast. I mean, House of Pain. I mean, so so Dang. many wow big names in hip hop. Um, and for them, my, primarily, I was issuing master use licenses and sync licenses because um, they owned not only the masters but also 
a large part of the publishing, which became an issue with creators mm. down the line. Yeah, we're um, going to jump back to you, McKenzie, and that in a minute. I hear, yes, yes. I hear that sigh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I got a little disenchanted. When I got in the music business, this was when Britney Spears and NSYNC were the biggest things. And so in a week, they would go platinum. And CDs were selling. I mean, that was the technology at the time. CDs. Yes were like $21 a pop. And so just imagine selling a million CDs at that price point. It was, the music industry was flush with with cash. And there were so many young people that were music record label owners, some that you would recognize. It's not a, a house-friendly name anymore, P. Diddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, being one, you know, these were young people in their 20s that were millionaires from discovering talent, being wonderful A&Rs and learning how to um, be, have ownership. And so that was at my age, I was like, that's what I want to do. So I, you know, transferred to law school in New York so that I could intern um, at a record label during the day, finish school at night. And 9-11 occurred mm. uh, that year. Wow. And not only that, um, also um, illegal downloading became the thing. People said, CDs, buy a CD. I'm going to copy this. Mm. I'm going to sell it on Canal Street. And so those two things really impacted the economy. And it took the music industry a long, long time to understand the way technology was impacting it. And... Today, back then, there could be so many stars. Now we got what? Taylor Swift. We got Beyonce. We got Drake. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) There are others. Right. But in terms of just commanding the type of dollars that the music industry had, it's so much has changed. So I became, as I got older and wanted to secure my bag, (laughs) I was like, how do I get on the corporate side of these things? For sure. So that's where my practice has has evolved too, but I want to pivot to McKenzie <laughs> yes. to talk about so something, focusing on artists. Yeah, something that I'm super intrigued by is, that you mentioned, Lee, is the speed of technology mm-hmm. and how that has impacted the music industry as a whole. And you mentioned a few examples, but McKenzie, I would love to hear about the specific services that Crosstown Arts is providing be- that assist artists with all of these things, because it does feel like sometimes technology is just, man, at the speed of sound, like... Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and I think that comes to a perfect kind of segue into why AI is at a, it's a, we're at an interesting point in the music industry um, and with how the Internet has developed and the delay in the music industry. I think now with AI, it's rapidly changing even quicker um, than what just the, the interwebs were. And so having to move quickly or else we'll be left behind, which I think last year really showed, you know, in terms of the songs being created or AI generated by some of our favorite artists. And I mean, those are the cons, but there's also so many pros in terms of songwriters using AI to um, pitch their songs so that the creatives that they're pitching to can hear themselves on it. Um, And so with us at Crosstown, um, we are just working with artists to make sure that they have 
on the business side, um, things in place in terms of copyright registrations with their PRO so that they're covered um, and understand why it's important, but also serving as a resource. So should they, you know, face an issue, um, say, with a collaborator and there wasn't the paperwork in place, working with them to kind of mediate and have that paperwork, collaboration agreement in place um, so that they can move forward not only with us in sync, but just in general, should another opportunity come about. Um, but we're all about just trying to provide as many resources as possible um, and provide as many opportunities as possible. I'm curious about what sort of resources Crosstown Sync provides that maybe someone who's not connected to the creative industry, what's something a creative might need um, your support for that the general public maybe isn't thinking about? For sure. Um, so specifically looking at sync, um, a lot of a lot of times we may watch, you know, our favorite shows and are like, oh, my gosh, like, can't believe they use that song in that particular moment. I feel like my song can be used there. And there's many steps that go into getting your music placed. And one of that is, you know, not only creating the music, but having the paperwork and registration behind it. So that's why publishing admin support uh, is works tan in tandem with Crosstown Sync. So usually if an artist, say, may not have their song registered with their performing rights organization. So let's say, you know, our performing rights organization here domestically are, you know, BMI, ASCAP, CSAC. Um, and let's say, you know, they don't have it registered. Charles works with them to understand the process what are your splits who worked all of your individuals who worked on this from the producer to say someone else was helping to write something um whether they're a featured artist or they're writing for the main artist you know getting those numbers in place to then register it with your pro so that way you know once we're ready to enter into having that music in our catalog um which we organize it through a platform called disco which allows for us to track that metadata in terms of splits as well as lyrics we can look at bpm genres styles in terms of is this a um, male vocalist does this have a guitar what's the mood or style um that allows for us to you know pitch it for a specific you know, placement types. A lot of times they're looking for, oh, we need something that's upbeat, that's talking about lyrically, no cares in the world. And we can easily kind of disseminate through our catalog using this platform. But these are the many steps that it takes before we're able to pitch it. And in addition to, you know, I mentioned a collaboration agreement. If you're working with, say, a producer or a featured artist and they have a writer share split, wanting to have that documentation so that we can pitch your music as a one-stop, which 99% of our catalog is. And by one-stop, um, I mean that we have the right to administer on behalf of everyone involved, um, not only for the master side, which is the recording that you hear, but on the publishing side. So that represents the individuals who helped in creating this body of work. So there's songwriters, your producers, um, and with that, that makes us, our catalog, more advantageous with music supervisors or ad companies because they only have to come to us to clear it. So mm. instead of having, you know, say someone may own the master, say like a label, and then someone owns the publishing, 
you have to go to two sides. They might not always get along. And they may not always have the right information. Like, oh, there's 1% that's not noted. Like, where is this 1%? Or the master side wants this amount of money. So you have to go on this side, uh, like most favorite nations. Like, it's <laughs> there's, so, there's so many details to it, which us being one stop, we're able to say, you know, yes, we can clear this on both sides. Here are all the files. We have the we have the full original song. We have the clean. We have the instrumental, the acapellas, the stems. We can give you all of this um, in just one fell swoop with having all the documentation in place. And then once things are placed, we have, you know, the agreement in place. We receive the sync fee. We're able to then pay out the creators um, and let them know when when they're potential ad or show or movie will be premiering and it, it keeps things very streamlined and organized. Wow. I love you shaking your head, Lee. You're like, yeah, this sounds awesome. Like, <laughs> I mean, so is this common, like the one stop for a catalog or is this kind of innovative here in Memphis? It's becoming, I think, more common than not because people are realizing how important it is. Um, and it mitigates, again, the having to go to multiple headache. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it, there's still a number of cases um, a majority where it's it's not. And this is, again, why we're sh- really emphasizing the importance of understanding the business, even though you're a creative. And obviously, you know, you want to build out your team and have individuals to support you, which is great so that you can focus on the creative side. But having an understanding of all facets of the industry you're working in, because we see more often than not a lot of our legacy acts who, you know, are trying to grapple with, oh, I, I, I don't have my publishing or, you know, trying to get it back. Or now a lot of people are selling their catalog um, and just understanding really the landscape of the industry we're in and the importance of maintaining ownership is really what we strive to do. And so being one stop, we we really recommend even our independent artists who we work with, like, you know, we're non-exclusive, continue to maintain this organization of your catalog, whether you're working with us or not, because this can be valuable and it is valuable. So interesting. I feel like this is such a probably cheesy example, but one that many listeners will likely recognize. I had no idea what a master's was until I heard that Taylor Swift was re-recording all her stuff so she could exactly. own her, you know, Taylor's version stuff. And I was like, why have I never heard of this before this? And so that bringing the business side to the creative side, it feels like, again, with the legacy acts and selling catalogs, we have so many legacy acts here in the Mid-South, too, Yeah, that in perpetuity, where their legacy dollars are going, I'm curious about. So do you have any intel on any of that? I mean, a lot of times, you know, a lot of in- there are a number of entities that, again, are, are buying up uh, catalogs, but sometimes they're just not reading the fine print in their uh, contracts, initial contracts. And, you know, a number of, say, like labels, they're bought by larger entities and it's the passing around of of the catalogs. Like, for instance, with Taylor Swift, how her catalog has kind of moved hands a couple of times since that initial purchase. And it's you just never know because this person who has it now, they may kind of want to wash their hands with the industry and are just willing to sell it. And 
you you have no control unless you come with a a big bag of cash to <laughs> to buy it back. Um, but it's it's just it hurts to see, especially individuals who you know they've put so much energy and time and have so much success, but they're not reaping the benefits because they just didn't know or they just didn't take put as much value on the front end in terms of owning um, and kind of playing that long game, which with music, sometimes it's better to play the long game than take that kind of easy, easy way out. That's a, that's a great point. And thinking about the long game, you know, what are the things that you help advocate for or help musicians advocate for when it comes to selling their music? Is it always a one-time you sell it it's done are there residuals is that something they need to think about can you help them create that framework for what's going to give them the long-term return for sure so with a sync placement um, it's never exclusive in terms of if it's placed in any sort of project it's just used in terms of that particular moment um, or cue in that particular project. Um, but the beautiful thing about sync is not only do you get an upfront uh, sync fee, which since we're working in one stop, it's usually an all in fee. So it covers the master and the pub side, uh, but they also receive those royalties through their PRO. So when something is synced, they'll submit a cue sheet or they should submit a cue sheet uh, to your PROs and based on the registration, which is why it's important to have your works registered, um, you'll begin to collect royalties every time that particular, let's say, a TV show um, is aired. So say it's aired on CBS, then say it moves to streaming. So every time it's streamed, say it's on Netflix, every stream you rack up a royalty. And so when an artist gets their you know quarterly statement they'll be able to denote like oh i was on this show oh i see it's now on netflix i had this many thousands of streams okay that amounts to this much and it may not seem like a lot but over time that's that mailbox money you know you're, which you're not necessarily always thinking about but it's nice to receive like oh <laughs> I could I could I could get some gas today or I could go out for dinner like you 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 never know and it's it's again it's a a revenue stream that you know you've already created the work continue to put it to work um mm. outside of you know you having to go on the road or having to sell merch or having to continue to create new works which you should but you can be you know a song that you made 10 years ago could be placed in a new show and then that generates not only income through sync people like it they shazam it oh i'm gonna go listen to it on you know my favorite dsp oh this is my new favorite artist now it's a it's a nice little rabbit hole to go down you need to have some knowledge of the business especially your personal business absolutely and you need to understand just financial literacy and just partner with the right people you know, they, they, I mean, you, you have to have the right lawyer. You can't, you know, lawyer can't necessarily be your cousin, maybe your manager, <laughs> you True. know, but you want to have a lawyer that has had some experience negotiating the type of deals that you're entering into that understand the nuances, understand which rights, for instance, a lot of people now are selling their music catalogs out of necessity. But you can negotiate to have a right of reversion. Mm. You know, there's. There's different things that 
it will come back to your estate if you know right. and estate yeah. planning and okay. that's the last point i want to make you know estate planning early and i think that's across the board that's <laughs> music that's industry what wealthy or not people, <laughs> right you know that's what wealthy people focus on is estate planning and so i think that needs to to, to be a, a bigger conversation taking place with creators and as we think about kind of in that that same vein the historic need for creatives to have multiple streams of income how are entities like crosstown sync helping them have fewer of you know need fewer jobs to maybe mm. maybe they do music and one other thing how are you know i think that's something that i hear you talking about in the ways that you are placing artists not only in some you know local aspects but i mean you're doing big things there's some shows like can you talk about some of the networks that you're placing memphis musicians in yeah so we've been fortunate enough uh our first film and actually first placement was with a film called the estate in 2022 um and that um was amazing and actually it came from we host twice a year music supervisors um we bring in about a group between like six and eight and we fly them in for a weekend and it all kind of came about through we know once we bring them to memphis they're going to fall in love and so we give them a weekend of just mood or food culture and we also do a listening session where they're able to not only hear some of the music from our catalog but meet face to face with the creatives and that gives them an idea of who these individuals are who are creating this music and you know andy ross heard one of the songs fell in love with a particular music creator's voice and was like, okay, we need this cover. Can you all, can you all do this for us? We need it for, for the film. And it's, it's the last thing. And, and, you know, the director's really gung ho about it and it, and it ended up working out and it was amazing. And this was, you know, the group of creatives that we put together. Um, this was their first placement and it was, it was awesome. And we've also been able to, have placements on ABC uh, through the company you keep and the rookie feds. Um, this summer, we're able to get placements with the Apple TV show Platonic with Seth Rogen, um, also with the Hulu show The Other Black Girl. And it's been awesome. Like I said, most of these creatives, this is their first placement. And for them to, you know, see their eyes when we see their eyes and also hear their voice when we say, you know, it's confirmed. It's coming out this date. This is the amount. And they're just like, this song came out five years ago. I can't believe like it's being placed. And it's, it's just awesome to show them that, okay, you continue to put in this work and your music can continue to be heard by more people because just because it was released this year, it wasn't heard by the world. There's still so many people who are waiting to discover you and sync is a great way to do that as well as you know we host writing camps uh, last year we were fortunate enough to have two which we're hoping to hopefully do three this year and so we have invite local creatives to come spend a weekend with us at crosstown and we try to eliminate any barriers to their creative process and most of them you know may have know of each other but haven't worked together and we give them a few briefs which we get from supervisors that are within our network and they're for active upcoming projects um, and so we hosted one in January and it was just amazing to see how 
there was no ego the first night. We call it the pressure cooker where we kind of put them into groups and give them each a brief and say, hey, you got two and a half hours. Work on this. We want a full demo by the end of tonight. And it was just amazing to see how they melded their various styles and just approaches and really just made something really cool. Um, and that's always a great way for them to, I say, like kick off the year, start re-energized. But it's also just a great way for them to connect with more creatives in the city, but also show them that, hey, there are opportunities like this outside of not only what we're doing, there are a number of writing camps um, out there. And this is an opportunity for you to not only showcase you know, yourself as an artist, but also as a songwriter, um, as a musician, as a producer. There are so many lanes um, that you can tap into because Memphis, we have an abundance of talent, um, not only, you know, on in front of the stage or on the stage as artists, but just in terms of session musicians, producers, engineers, um, you name it, it's it's here. And we just want to make sure that they know that there are many avenues for them to really kind of take their creative genius um, and utilize it. Why do musicians, specifically musicians in Memphis, um, need organizations like Crosstown Arts and Crosstown Sync? Uh, what risks do they face if they don't have organizations like this helping? And then what are the benefits that they stand to gain? I think it's important to have access to entities in your in Memphis, in your city that are accessible. A lot of times, you know, like Lee mentioned, you felt as though you had to go elsewhere to receive that support or receive that opportunity. And to have something on the ground, it just makes the barrier for entry just seem that less, less there. Um, and so for folks just to be like, hey, I'm at Crosstown. Can I stop by, have a question? Or, hey, I just made this new song. I'm going to send it to you. Let me know what you think. There's just that open communication um, and open access, but also just trying to bring more opportunities to Memphis and showing people that, hey, you know, we're, we are a legacy city in terms of, you know, we have Elvis, we have Stacks, you know, we have high records, like we have so much, but we also have so much right now that's bubbling. And I think, you know, even with like Beetroot, having that be a staple in terms of, yes, it's based here. I mean, it's just wonderful to have facilities here where the biggest stars are coming to record. Um, and that is, you know, that that's something that Memphis can can definitely brag about. I mean, having world-class studios where people can record. Um, there are other recording studios here that also, I mean, you know, Bruno Mars has come to record in Memphis. Absolutely. Um, I mean, the, the list is, is, you know, this is where, this is where the stacks, you know, sound soul music, and so this is where Elvis is from. So we have um, we have like all the things. Yes, you know yes. I mean? um, Which is quiet as kept. I think people they know, but then they it's more like we have to remind them, mm -hmm. um, or they're like, "Man, that sounds so familiar," and then you're like, "Oh, that that was recorded here." I think you're like BJ the Chicago Kid. His most recent album recorded at Royal Studios with Boo Mitchell. And that was just like a happenstance. Like he was there. He loved the sound. It's like, okay, I'm going to record it here. It, it's just something about Memphis that you you just, it's, it's really in the water. 
And the beauty of technology, I would say, um, it became super apparent during the pandemic when everything, you know, was shut down. Um, That so much transactionally, things that needed to, to take place could take place from your computer or from your phone. Um, and so I would say the need to be someplace is becoming less and less. I think now it's more so around um, the incentives that the state offers for more industry to take place here. But just in terms of being able to bring a company together um, that I'll have to be able to, to have enough sustainable work to pay and to pay salaries. And so I think when we talk about the creative community, um, we really have to look at the economics mm-hmm. of it in terms of scaling um, in a market that is not considered the entertain- an entertainment city. And when we think about how technology is changing the way that folks are able to access tools, resources that are going to grow their careers, as you mentioned in the pandemic, a lot of folks were able to bring their recording at home and do some of their own editing, whereas there used to be a very solvent industry of engineers and mixers and um, production studios. And there's room for everyone at the table. I, I, I don't want us to think about it in a sense that, you know, it's either or. Um, but how is Crosstown Sync working to get folks who are using their own resources out into the world? For sure. Well, one way that we are kind of allowing them to continue to u- utilize their own space, but also providing them spaces, we have three production rooms on the first floor of the Crosstown Concourse building, and they can be reserved, uh, whether for a small fee based on like a two-hour or four-hour window, or if you're a part of any of our programming. So whether you're um, a part of Crosstown Sync, publishing admin support, healthcare support, or even if you're a Crosstown Arts resident, in terms of our residency program, you can access those spaces for free. And so we have kind of a full setup. So whether you want to do some recording, you need to do mixing, uh, people have even used it for just rehearsal space, you know, you have that opportunity to kind of come into a space, maybe just to change it up a bit. Or if you're looking to collaborate with, say, an engineer or a producer, you know, myself and Charles, we're always happy to try to connect people. Um, But we also kind of, recommend for music creatives to though you could do it yourself it might be good to involve some additional people whether it is on the mixing side or the mastering side Um, sometimes it's better to have those additional fresh ears to help you guide kind of through that process and also you may need it in the sense of perhaps you know having this person mix your project watching and shadowing them learning some techniques to then kind of pull into your own toolkit to then do it yourself um, maybe to a certain extent um, on your next project or just kind of paying it forward in terms of providing those resources. But we, we definitely try to provide as many opportunities and spaces for creatives to kind of elevate what they're doing 
um, and understand that, you know, the home studio setup is great, but sometimes you need to expand outside of that for sure. So you've both mentioned several times, and I feel like it's um, pretty apparent, kind of goes without saying, but Memphis is known for our music industry here. And as you mentioned, Mackenzie, not just the music of the past, but very much the music of the present as well. Um, So sharing about the music of the present, there are all kinds of interesting things happening with technology and AI in all sectors, it feels like these days, everything from chat GPT to cars to everything else. Um, And so recently, actually earlier this year in January, um, Tennessee Governor Bill Lee shared the first of its kind Elvis Act, which stands for the Ensuring Likeness, Voice, and Image Security Act, which would update Tennessee's Protection of the Personal Bill of Rights. Bill Rights, yes. Personal Rights Law. Am I saying that correctly, Lee? Mm-hmm. You are. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, so this would expand the law to include protections for songwriters, performers, and music industry professionals' voices from the misuse of artificial intelligence. So earlier in this conversation, you did mention there are some pros to AI Mm -hmm. in the music industry. Can you share what some of those might be? For sure. I mean, before we dive into (laughs) all of the nefarious uses of AI. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, one I mentioned was, you know, songwriters using AI to pitch, say, records that they want for specific artists so that they can hear themselves. Even more recently, there have been artists that have used AI to translate their songs into different languages. So therefore expanding um, their fan base, but also, you know, a, a lot of listeners are wanting to listen in their native language. So expanding that way, um, as well as on the production side, like even through Crosstown Sync with the platform that we use, Disco, we're able to create instant instrumentals from a song that has full vocals. So if, Mm. say, we've run into the issue where someone may not have all of their files um, Mm -hmm. or session files to create stems or instrumentals, whether it be a lost hard drive or they're not in contact with the individual that recorded for them, through, you know, an AI kind of system, we're able to get instrumentals for songs, which is crucial for us because sometimes, you know, the music editor might need to extend a certain section because it's going under some dialogue. And that was a game changer for us in terms of just being able to be able to pitch certain songs that were missing that additional file type. So AI definitely has its has areas where it can be of benefit um, to music creatives. But yeah, it's it's definitely there are moments where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. this is definitely teetered in the lane of going in the wrong direction (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um are there currently any protections for creatives when it comes to ai well for instance with with my client that i um, perform transactional services for their publishing company we are now um inserting uh clauses in there Mm. that we have a right of termination if they have too many fake streams and that's that's an example. I believe on the federal level, um, I believe maybe in 2022, um, President Joe Biden, um, and this you can read more on WhiteHouse.gov um, about this Bill of Rights with AI. But 
most of this is not forcible right now. Um, and that's why it, it is really exciting that Governor Bill Lee um, is proposing this bill and taking, and I think it's also appropriate, you know, that they named it um, the Elvis Act. I know, I love that. That I guess they said, I was reading this article and I want to credit the author of this Daily Memphian um, article, Ian Round, um, for really, and I, I would recommend that others, yes, we will link yeah. it in yes, the podcast yes. show notes for sure. Well, the Daily talk, Memphian article. Yeah, he talks about that um, Elvis Presley's, that basically Tennessee's, uh, the property right uh, that is associated with the right of publicity originates from, um, let's see, Elvis Presley's estate. Mm. And so, you know, I think that that is, you know, Apropos. very appropriate. Yeah. Yes, very what appropriate. What a through line. And I love wow. that... Um, the godfather of AI, who recently there's a New York Times article about um, him. His name is Jeff Hinton, recommending this AI pause and leaving Google to be able to talk about the risks. And he identified three types of risks. So the immediate risk is dif- disinformation, where you can't tell, you know, what is real on the Internet and what is not. Um, the medium term um, risk is job loss. You know, today AI is helpful, right? Um, but it is evolving so quickly. And the longer term risk, which is this existential risk, which is the the threat to humanity. Um, you know, as these systems get better, they start to re- well. The the medium risk was as these systems get better, they start to replace people and jobs, but. On the long term, it's a threat to humanity. I mean, I don't know if you all saw Leave the World Behind on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Well, no, not yet. I oh, my goodness. But it it shows where AI can Uh-oh. get us sooner than yeah. later. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely something to think about. So um, I think it's wonderful that um, Tennessee is on the forefront because oftentimes, first of all, the technology is already out there. So you, you got to go with it. You know, the music industry tried so hard to sue Napster, to, sh- to shut down. <laughs> Once it's out, the, the, the key out the is right. to, yeah. to figure out how to regulate it. And so I love that um, a conservative governor has, you know, come out uh, championing um, having these protections in place and saying, you know, yes, we love a free market, you know, and technology is a part of that free market. However, we are going to acknowledge on the front end before it turns into some cultural war where people on different sides of parties start fighting about things, not considering the human cost. Mm-hmm. And so I love that our governor is on the forefront of, of with this bill. It's particularly interesting to me, too, with the way that Tennessee as a whole as a state has put such a stamp on the music industry, whether it's from Nashville to Memphis to East Tennessee with bluegrass and gospel and anything like that. It feels like our state really, it makes sense that we would be innovating in this way to kind of keep our bottom line, (laughs) the bottom line in that way. I mean, because it certainly would have impacts on that. Um, Mackenzie, how do you foresee this impacting artists in Memphis? Should it be passed? I definitely think that having these regulations in place just makes it creates a safe space to create and not having to think about, okay, well, is it could my music or could my song be taken this way or could someone use my voice in this way? Um, 
and I, I think it just allows for creatives to just feel safe, like I said. Um, and I think with so many individuals moving to Tennessee, looking at the increase um, in terms of Nashville, Memphis, um, and even Knoxville, um, I think more and more creatives are realizing like, oh, I I want a city vibe, but I don't want all the hustle and bustle that comes with it. And with this, reg- you know, this legislation, should it pass, I think is more advantageous, makes it more advantageous, advantageous for folks to come to Memphis um, and Tennessee alike and feel as though that their voice is being heard and considered um, and is valued. And it really does show that, you know, the in- entertainment sector is a valuable part, which we all know. But it just puts that stamp on it, as you said, um, that there is a, a huge value and importance. Um, as with any kind of legislation, it feels like the devil will be in the details should it be passed and all of the nuances. I know that there are several people, including Boo Mitchell, I saw that has, you know, thrown his voice into the ring to make sure that, you know, there are examples of all these nuances that can be covered in this legislation should it move forward. Um, can both of you speak a little bit to the way that attracting and retaining creative talent to Memphis and the state of Tennessee. Do you have anything else to add there? I think as we hopefully continue in this trend, specifically looking at Memphis, placing importance on building that infrastructure and looking to, you know, our, our sister down the road, Nashville, and how um, you can have a thriving music ecosystem with there being a plethora of like-minded organizations and entities. So there doesn't just have to be one. Um, You know, wanting to make sure, again, that creatives don't feel as though they have to go elsewhere to receive those resources or opportunities, but that they can stay home and have a thriving community um, as well as thriving career and, you know, have the support of, their city, their government, their state. Um, I think that is the next kind of um, next kind of checkbox on our list of really just honing in on that infrastructure, which once was, you know, having a plethora of labels um, here in the city. We saw what came about that. We took the world by storm. I think we're now on our way towards continuing to take the world by storm um, by building that infrastructure. And coming from a marketing perspective, which is the area where I'm performing most of my work and just working with creatives and marketing, just never underestimating the power of a marketing campaign, a PR campaign. Um, This particular article that we spoke about, this Daily Memphian article, you know, was chock full of um, very interesting um, personalities that are Memphis personalities Mm that are also um, shaping um, this bill and uh, have a voice and, you know, with with Boo Mitchell, for instance, Mm -hmm. and wanting to shape um, and be at the forefront of this, I think this could have an international impact. And I think, I mean, I I would guess that Governor Lee wants to enter the national stage. Absolutely. And I think this was such a wonderful way to do that. And the same for... Our new mayor. Yes. You know, I think this is a major opportunity to be on the forefront and and knowing that eventually the federal government is going to um, 
be regulating and going to be creating. And I want you to understand or I want listeners to understand that there's something called preemption. But, oh, yeah, when state law and federal law conflict, federal law displaces or preempts state law due to the supremacy clause of the Constitution. Mm. So eventually there will be federal laws um, covering, you know, covering this. But we have this opportunity to be at the forefront of that. And so I think that um, this is really something that we can come together and champion so, yeah, and to Anna's point, there there are some nationally recognizable voices that have voiced support of this, from SAG-AFTRA to the Artist Rights Alliance, NSAI, and the list goes on. And so, folks are looking to Tennessee to lead, um, and looking to Memphis through the name Elvis. I would think, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and that's that's a really exciting position to be in. To you know face something on the front end um, and say, you know, we're going to we're going to take the lead and pave the road for a better future for this sector and for our state. That's pretty cool. I agree. Um, And as we mentioned earlier, I think the link between music and the economy is arguably stronger in our state than in many others. Um, So can each of you share a little bit about how the entertainment industry does directly affect our city and our state's economic bottom line? I mean, right off the bat, tourism in the sense of, you know, thinking through Elvis here in Memphis, thinking through Stax, um, thinking through, you know, Dollywood. Like, there are a number of, you know, even, you know, the Grand Ole Opry, there are a number of tourism drivers that are pulling in, um, individuals not only nationally but internationally to come to Tennessee um, also through just the music creation piece you know the number of studios like Lee said that are in Memphis alone the number of people who come here just to get that Memphis sound it's amazing and even through you know again our sister city of Nashville the number of productions that go there, whether it's from scoring with their sound stages to songwriters, you know, entertainment, music specific, music specifically is such an important driver um, for our economy on so many levels um, to even just, you know, talent here who are, are touring. Um, given Memphis, we're hopefully going to, bolster our touring uh music touring industry but you know throughout tennessee especially nashville there are a number of tours that go through um and again are creating or in bolstering that economy i mean people talk about how the eras tour you know (laughs) single-handedly bolstered economies uh which is true i mean even renaissance uh with beyonce going back to creating that experience um, and I think with Tennessee being such a music state, um, it goes hand in hand. And it, it makes perfect sense why we, entertainment, music specifically, is such a, a driver. Um, cause this is kind of like a chicken or the egg thing. But how do you think, if this were to go forward, that it might also help with film and TV incentives to also come to the stage? So. That kind of a hand in hand in parallel as over at Crosstown Singular placing music on these, you know, global and national stages to maybe showcase that Tennessee is the place for all of your entertainment needs and that we will 
welcome you with open arms and protect you here. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, even thinking about the the production studios that are tentatively coming um, and even thinking about, I mean, just recently, was it two weeks ago that Tyler Perry was filming his next film here um, between Memphis and, and Clarksdale? Like, they, Memphis is a hotbed. And even thinking through, you know, how we had Bluff City Law, mm-hmm. I think, you know, we very much are a place um, for all entertainment needs. And I think it's just bubbling with opportunity. We also are River City. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, New Orleans has really got, you know, they've really figured it out. <laughs> and, you know, the number of festivals that they host. And I remember when I first moved here from Atlanta, um, I was just like, when my ex-husband, you know, drove me through Harbortown and seeing those houses on the water and then going into the Arts District and, you know, I saw the Grammys building all the, I was like, Wow, the possibilities. I mean, we're a river city. You can get to Atlanta by car. You mm-hmm. get to Nashville quickly. You can get to St. Louis quickly. You get to New Orleans quickly. Yes. In my opinion, quickly. Yes. I mean, compared to mm-hmm. some of the, the driving that I did growing up in the West Coast, you know. So I just think that this is really a city that has so much to offer um, on so many levels. And I would love to be a part of, and I think I am trying to be a part of, realizing that for the entertainment opportunities here. Agreed. Memphis is so magnetic, and it's also unrivaled in the accessibility to thought partners, resources, supporters, what are some ways that the community can be better advocates, supporters, and partners of the creative scene in Memphis? That's an amazing question. I think at the base level, go to a show. If, you know, your favorite or even maybe you don't know who's playing, but you have a, a certain spot you like to go to, support it, especially if they have live music that night. Um also through streaming, uh, support local creatives via your your favorite digital streaming platform. Um, but also just in terms of like from the simple piece of if you do go to a show, buy a piece of merch. Even if you don't have a CD player, I, I love collecting vinyl. So, you know, I love to if I see a really cool vinyl, if I go to a cool show, I'm definitely going to buy a piece. And that goes a long way. Um And I think in terms of if you're having an event, invite and book a local talent. That goes a long way as well because then their their music is being exposed to a new audience um, and you're supporting them as well. And that way they don't have to have so many various jobs um, and they can actually have a music career that is sustainable. But I think really just... being active and supporting and showing up for music creatives is key. And even as simple as if you hear a song that you like, share it on social media, pass it along to a family and friend. Um, Those little ways of helping can go a long way. Independent Bank is celebrating 25 years of sharing your stories, building your dreams and serving you heroically. Find out how iBank can help you achieve your financial dreams at i-bankonline.com. Member FDIC.